First Thessalonians chapter 3. Uh, this morning we're going to look at verses 6 through the end of the chapter, which is verse 13. The Apostle Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to the church in Thessalonica, But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and our affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For we now live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God, as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. A couple weeks ago, we explored together in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, we explored the idea that Paul had confidence that the Thessalonians had received the word of God as the word of God and not as the word of man. Receiving the word of God as the word of God is a hallmark of uh, Christian conversion. When you become, when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you do in fact take the word of God as the word of God and receive it as the inerrant, infallible, necessary, sufficient word and not as a man-made thing. And the foundation for Paul's confidence that the Thessalonians received the word as the word of God is that they suffered. And they suffered well, like the churches in Judea, where the gospel first took hold, they suffered well like the churches there. They saw the example of the churches in Judea and Jerusalem, and they suffered as those churches suffered. They did not abandon the word. If the word was taken as the word of man and not as the word of God, they would have quickly abandoned uh, that word. But the Thessalonians were not deterred from their present course because of persecution. When we get to our text this morning in verse 6 of chapter 3, Paul says that he is confident uh, not only in the present, but also in the future for the Thessalonians. Not only did they take the word as the word of God in their present sufferings, but Paul expresses that he is confident for their future as well. You may have heard this phrase. This is a, a, a simple indicator of what can be expected in the weather uh, that's been used for several thousand years. Red sky at night, sailors delight. Red sky at morning, sailor take warning. You've probably heard that if you watched some kind of movie about ships or sailing or something like that, of which we have none here in North Dakota. Um, but maybe, maybe you have heard this. Uh, Shakespeare wrote, like a red morn that ever yet betoked, wreck the seamen, tempest to the field, sorrow to the shepherd, woe unto the birds, gusts and foul flies to herdsmen and to herds. I know you love Shakespeare. How about we go to Jesus? Jesus in Matthew 16, 2 and 3 said, When it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather. Oh, it got dark. It will be fair weather, for the sky is red in the morning. It will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. 
You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. During sunrise and sunset, there's a scientific reason for this redness of the sky in the morning and in the evening. And during the sunrise and sunset, when the sun is low in the sky, it's traveling through more atmosphere than it is when it's high in in the sky. And a red sky means that the atmosphere, the light is passing through, is passing through, it's full of dust. We have this effect a lot. It's right now, it's harvest in North Dakota, so it's passing through a lot of dust and moisture particles. And a red sunrise is, uh, often means good weather has passed by indicating that the storm system is moving east. And since weather usually travels, especially in our case, from, east, or from west to east, um, it doesn't bode well. Red sunrise, the good weather is past us. A red sky at night, though, means that the sun's light is traveling through high concentrations of dust particles, and this indicates that stable air is coming from the west. Basically, good weather is following. You see red sky at night, sky at night, sailor's delight. Red sky in the morning, sailor take warning. Bad weather is to follow. In this instance, Paul sees, as he observes the report that Timothy brought to him about the Thessalonians, he sees a red sunset, not a red sky. The outlook is overwhelmingly positive for the Thessalonian church. Things are good. But unlike the sky that changes night after night, morning after morning, Paul knows that God who worked in the Thessalonians when they received the word, he will continue to work in them and bring the work that he began to completion in them. So this morning as we look at these verses in that first Thessalonians, three ideas are going to guide our time together. Three ideas from this text this morning. First, the good news of faith and love. Second, the need for increased faith. And third, the need for increased love. We'll take those in turn this morning. The good news of faith and love. If you have your Bible open on your lap, uh, continue to, because we're going to reference some of these things together as we walk through this text. So you'll remember again that Paul and Silas, when they came first to Thessalonica, came uh, and were uh, received. The gospel was received by a few Jews and a lot of Gentiles. And then Paul and Silas, because of the jealousy of the Jews, they stirred up a mob. The city officials drove Paul and Silas out of Thessalonica. There was a threat against their lives, they were forced to flee. And Paul and Silas really wanted to make it back to Thessalonica, but in 2.18, Paul says that Satan, in fact, himself hindered them from making it back. So Paul sends Timothy. He decides this is the route that we're going to take. I want to learn about the Thessalonians' faith and about their love. And so he sends Timothy, and Timothy returns to them with a good report. We see that right at the beginning. If you look at verse 6, but now that Timothy has come to us and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. So, Timothy comes back. He brought Paul and Silas the good news about the Thessalonians' faith and love. Now, when we think about faith and love, we often just think about personal qualities. 
qualities of an individual. We ask ourselves, do I have faith? What's going on with my faith? Do I show love to others? What's going on with my love? But if you'll notice very, if you're reading this passage closely, you'll notice that Paul uses the words faith and love to describe the Thessalonians as a whole, as an entire church, as a congregation. Not just personally. He's not applying to these person by person. Paul didn't mean the faith of, of Al and Stan and Karen. He meant the faith of you all together, observably. He wasn't looking at the report of faith and love just personally, but as a church overall. This is a bit of a difficult concept to wrap our heads around because of the world that we live in. We think of ourselves as individuals who go to church. But the reality of the way that the Bible talks about us as a church is that we are a whole, a unified whole, a group of people who come together and are irreducible. We don't think of our identity as a church. Often we just think of ourselves as individuals that go to church. The Bible talks about the local church functioning as a body with Christ as the head. This metaphor is used multiple times in the New Testament. Eyes and ears and calf muscles that are detached from the body except for once a week, rarely if ever, are serving a purpose. But the body must be functioning together with consistency as a unified whole. When a person becomes a Christian, they receive a new identity in Christ. They go from being a slave to a friend, a stranger to a son. And we're told in the New Testament over and over again that Jesus unwaveringly commits himself to a church, to the church, expressed in local churches. He commits himself to the church so much that he died to make it his bride. And those who identify with Christ, therefore, also identify with his bride, the church. Those who identify with Christ, Christ died for his bride, the church. So, if you came up to me after congregational worship today and said that you like me and consider me a friend, but you really don't like my wife and call her some names and say, I prefer she not be around when we hang out, you and I are going to have a problem. But this is oftentimes how we treat the church. We treat the church like we are a bunch of atomized individuals who come to church. But that's not what we are. We are, in fact, an irreducible whole, a body, whose parts are all meant to be functioning together, achieving a common purpose and a common goal. You are not all individuals who go to church. You are all the church. And sometimes we like to say, well, I'm part of the church, a collective large group of people that exists uh, somehow in the ether, out in the conceptual reality. 
well, I'm a Christian and so I'm part of the church. But the New Testament doesn't talk like this. It talks about individual local bodies who gather together, who have been given everything and supplied all that they need in Christ, who represent Christ as his bride here on earth. That means that churches have faith, like Paul is observing here, that is in fact observable. That means that churches have love that is in fact observable. You cannot be disconnected from the local church and be part of an observable faith and love that the local church has. We often talk, times talk about Christian maturity and what it means to be moving towards Christian maturity in our personal lives. Yes, and we want to become more obedient to Jesus as individuals. But brothers and sisters, we are the church and we are the bride of Christ. And so these things matter to us as a whole also. When one of us wavers in faith, it matters to all of us. When one of us acts in a way that is not loving, it matters to all of us. So, Timothy comes back with a full report observing the church in Thessalonica, reporting that the faith and love of the church is good. It is in a good place. And Paul says in verse 7, we have been comforted about you through your faith. And Paul is grateful to God. Look at verse 9. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for all the joy that we feel for you, for your sake, before our God? Observable faith of a church. Observable love of a church. Paul is not saying that Timothy sectioned off each individual and have a little interview and then they got an A, B, C, D, or F in faith and love. He is saying together as a church, their faith and their love were good. So, a good report is brought to Paul and Silas from Timothy about the church in Thessalonica. A good, a good report about their faith and love. Now, as we work our way through this passage, though, um, we see that Paul talks about a need for increased faith. He talks about a need for increased faith. Look at verse 10. He says, We pray more earnestly night and day that we may see your, you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. So Paul is praying that he would see the Thessalonians, he and Silas, would see the Thessalonians face to face, and that the good report that he received from Timothy was a great comfort, but does, that, does not deter his desire to see the Thessalonians face to face. This is a bit of an aside, but we can realize that the text is implying to us that Paul doesn't view his relationships with the Thessalonians as utilitarian. 
His presence isn't withheld from the Thessalonians or his desire to be present with them isn't withheld until something goes wrong. This must be a, a help to us and an example to us. He doesn't wait to see those he loves until business needs to be done or something needs to be fixed. Paul desires to be with the Thessalonian church and he loves the Thessalonian church. Sure, he was worried about them and that's why he sent Timothy. He was worried about them. But his plan to visit them wasn't contingent on the need to put out a fire. He wants to be with them just because they are his Christian brothers and sisters. We sometimes treat our Christian relationships and relationships in general as mere maintenance projects. Things are getting a bit weathered and worn in our relationships, so we need to give some attention to it. I changed the oil in my truck yesterday, but if I wanted my truck to last more than a couple more years and run well, I need to be looking under the hood more than once a year or whenever the oil change is required. Christian relationships require check-ins even when things are good. Relational maintenance isn't the only way to run a relationship. We won't find much joy in Christian relationships if the only engagement we have is exercise in fixing things or figuring out what's wrong. And so Paul desires to come to them despite the fact that he gets a good report. The good report is helpful, but now he knows that he doesn't need to go and fix things. He just needs to go and be with them to love them. And there's another reason he wants to go, and that we see at the end of verse 10. He says, we pray more earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Paul wants to be with the Thessalonians face to face to supply what is lacking in their faith. Now, this is odd. This should strike you as odd if you're reading this because he just said, the good news of faith and love came to us. You guys are doing well, and I'm excited about that. But then he turns around and he says, now I need to supply what is lacking in your faith. Wait, are we doing okay or are we lacking? And the answer is both. Paul is saying the Thessalonians are on fact on track, but it is more growing in faith that needs to be done. When you have a two-year-old and your two-year-old is eating cereal at breakfast and 25% of it ends up on the floor, you as a parent would commend them. Say, good eating. 25% of it on this floor, but the dog will come and get it or we'll swoop it up later. But if you're 40 years old and 25% of your food winds up on the floor, nobody's dropping by your Applebee's booth to pat you on the back and say, hey, good job eating. The Thessalonians' faith development is on track, but it's far complete. You know the developmental differences between a two-year-old and a 40-year-old? The Thessalonians needed to be introduced to more robust doctrine. Paul will continue to do that in this letter. 
The Thessalonians needed to continue to grow in the application of the gospel. They took the word of God as the word of God and not as the word of man, but what does that mean for all of life? The Thessalonians need to continue being built up in their faith. They're doing really well for the stage they're in and the adversity that they have faced, but more is coming and they lack necessary faith to endure what might be coming. And so Paul says, I need to come to you to supply what is lacking in your faith. Paul is a gentle, encouraging parent. You'll remember this back from chapter 2. Like a gentle mother and an encouraging father, Paul comes to the Thessalonians. And he knows he can continue to supply what's needed for the future. I mentioned it a moment ago, but today we're celebrating eight years of Buffalo City Church. And it's hard to believe that it's been eight years, just thinking about the last eight years, I guess. But as a church, we're still in our childhood. If you're visiting with us, you came in and things seem like, well, I don't know how long this has been here and going. In some sense, things are refined. In other sense, things are really rough. Not rough like bad, just rough around the edges. We're figuring stuff out still. We're still being formed. We're being shaped like an eight-year-old is being shaped. Eight-year-olds need a lot of direction. They need a lot of investment. They need correction. They need discipline. And so for us as a church, eight years in, we are just beginning. We shouldn't be acting like a 50-year-old church. We should be acting like an eight-year-old church. Jesus is building his church, and Buffalo City Church belongs to him, and your labor to this point has not been in vain. But there's more work to do. There's no more work to do as a church. There's more ministry to be done. There's more people to be reached. There is more maturity to enter into. Our faith is sufficient. Buffalo City Church, I am glad to report to you from, he, from this pulpit this morning that our faith as a church is sufficient. But we need to realize that if we have the same level of faith when we get to year 15, that will be a problem. It will be a problem. This is true of you as an individual, and it's true of us collectively as a church. We need to pray that God will supply the faith that we need for year 15 when we arrive at year 15. And Paul knows that a face-to-face visit from him would be a faith-building opportunity for the Thessalonians. And so we need to, as well as a congregation, be looking for opportunities to grow in our faith. Again, not just simply as individuals, but together as a congregation, because there are more trials, more difficulties, more hardship, more ministry work to be done as a congregation when we get to year 10, when we get to year 12, when we get to year 15, when we get to year 25, when we get to year 100. I will be long gone. But hopefully the legacy of our faith that we did not rest on our laurels and the things that we did in the past would be apparent. We need to dedicate ourselves to the Word of God and to prayer and to better understanding fundamental doctrines of Christianity and how to apply those doctrines, giving ourselves to better understanding how our theology can be evident through the work of our hands. We're not there. We didn't arrive. And of course you think, of course you didn't. The church is eight years old. Of course we didn't think that. Like we wouldn't say that's true of an eight-year-old. 
Many of you have grown a lot in the eight years. Consider not just how God might grow you in the next eight years, but how he must, might grow us together in the next eight years. And the Thessalonians are doing well. And this is Paul's report, or Timothy's report to Paul, that the Thessalonians are doing well. In Buffalo City Church, I believe that the same is true for us. I think things are going well here. Our faith and our love, these are good news reports. God's kindness is on display. Jesus is building his church here in Jamestown. But in fact, we have not arrived. And friends, what is lacking in our faith needs to be supplied for the future. What is lacking in our faith needs to be supplied for our future, for what the next year brings, the next decade brings, the next century brings. But the good news is that God has promised that he'll supply all of our needs. So we trust that that promise finds its yes in the person of Jesus. So Paul addresses a need for increased faith in the Thessalonians, but he also addresses the need for increased love. And if you look at verses 11 through 13, this section operates or reads like a benediction, which usually comes at the end of something, a worship service or at the end of, at the end of a letter. But Paul places it here. Now, this is a bit of an end of a section for Paul. Um, he's going to pick up, um, have a di- little bit of a different tone beginning at verse 4, or in chapter 4, because you see the word finally, even though that there's still a lot of letter left. He says, finally. But these verses operate as a benediction to the portion of Paul addressing the report that he receives from Timothy and his love for the Thessalonian church. In the beginning of verse 12, Paul writes, May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. Now again, it would seem that the Thessalonians were fulfilling the command to love one another quite well. But like faith, Paul knew that more love would be needed for the future. And if we look at verse 13, Paul gives us the reason why. He says, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. What Paul is saying that a church is that a church that overflows with love will be a church that is found holy and blameless when Jesus returns. A church that overflows with love will be found holy, set apart, and blameless when Jesus returns returns. This is the future. Paul is talking about the future now, and how can he be confident in the future of the Thessalonians? How can we be confident in our future as a church? What does it mean for a church to be blameless? What does it mean for a church to be holy? It means that it is a church that is abounding and increasing in love. Friends, the implication of this text is that a church that fails to love one another will not be found holy and blameless when Jesus returns. A church that fails to love one another will not be found holy and blameless when Jesus returns. Now, what we shouldn't do is take this as a formula. We shouldn't take this as a formula and say, okay, so like we've got to plug in a little bit of love for one another, 
And out comes this holiness and blamelessness that we need to show Jesus on the day he returns. Look, we did it. We put the nickel in the gumball machine. Here's the gumball we got. You can chew it if you like. Took that metaphor too far. But you get the idea. It is God at work in the Thessalonian church and in us. This is what it looks like. It doesn't look like a formula. It looks like God at work in the Thessalonian church and in us to make us abound and increase in love. Paul is praying this. He is stating this as a, as a petition to God on behalf of the Thessalonian church. May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Something more glorious and more wonderful than we can possibly imagine will be true of us when Jesus returns. Jesus died to purify his bride. He died to purify the church. Ephesians 5, 25 and 27 through 27. This is a, this is a section where Paul is giving practical marriage thoughts to the Ephesian church. But he says that husbands should love their wives. And he gives the foundation for loving your wife. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. Jesus died to save the Thessalonians from their sin. Yes. Jesus died to save us from our sin. Yes. But his death also made the Thessalonians free to love. His death also made us free to love. So that, for the purpose that, resulting in a bride that is sanctified, cleansed, clothed in splendor, holy and without blemish. And the need for increase in abounding love can only come from God. Paul prays that this would continue to be true of the Thessalonian church. And we should pray that it would continue to and increase and abound even more in us the love that we have for one another. So that, Buffalo City Church, you are not a group of individuals who put on your some clothes and came to church this morning. You are a church. You are the church. You are part of an irreducible whole. And God will, on the final day, the love for one another will give evidence that we as a church are holy and blameless and will be shown to be as such when Jesus returns. Buffalo City Church. These ideas are outside of our realm of thought, usually. And Buffalo City Church, this is where we can increase in faith. Where we can increase in love. Viewing ourselves as a, not as a bunch of individuals who get together once a week on Sunday, but as a group of people that God has providentially placed together, who are given to one another 
who are here to build one another up, who are here to love one another despite the stupid stuff that we always tend to do. There are people around us who will frustrate us, and Jesus says, forgive. There are people around us who will sin against us, and Jesus says to forgive. And not only does he say to forgive, but he says to love. And not only does he say to love, but he says the love is the foundation for the grace that you'll receive on the day that Jesus returns for his bride. That leads us then to a conclusion this morning. Just two ideas here in conclusion. Friends, Buffalo City Church, our love for one another is the foundation of future grace. It's not just about being found faithful in the present, but what we do right now matters for the future. It genuinely matters. It's God through the gospel of Jesus Christ that frees us to love one another and gives us this increase in love. This is the foundation for being found blameless and holy as a church when Christ returns. Friends, what a gift it will be to hear that Jesus finds us faithful when he returns as a congregation. Friends, our faith individually and corporately is a gift. Our love for one another individually and corporately is a gift. We need the right amount for the stage that we're in and God will supply our needs. Everything in all of this comes to us from God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So what you don't need to say is, boy, I really need to start strong-arming God into giving me more of faith or giving me more love. You need to pray, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Supply my needs in Christ Jesus. Supply our needs in Christ Jesus. Jesus. So we as a church should then look ahead. We should be eagerly expecting Christ's return. We knowing now that we are commanded to love one another now. It will not get easier to love one another as a congregation. It will get harder. This is the way that it is. Do not complicate things, though. What should we do as we wait for Jesus' return? As we look to the future. As we look to the future, longing to hear Christ say, Well done, good and faithful servant, to us as a congregation. Should we speculate about the day and the hour? No. Should we load up on some canned goods in a bunker? No. It's more simple than that. It's love one another. Love one another with brotherly affection. At, it, it's not so baffling when you read the New Testament that the Christian life is very simple. The Christian life is very simple. We like to complicate things because we th- like to kick the can down the road on obedience. But Jesus says that the law and the prophets, he says that the things that 
are written in the Old Testament and all throughout Scripture can be summed up in this simple command to love one another, to love our neighbor as herself. The Christian life is simple. Devote yourself to loving one another because this is the foundation of future grace. If you find yourself in a position this morning where you're like, I can't, I can't love these people. I don't know what that looks like. Go to God who supplies all your needs according to his riches and glory. Our love for one another is the foundation of future grace. The second implication this morning is a church is meant to grow in faith and love. I said it last week, but no Christian, again, is a free agent. I think I even said it earlier this morning. The New Testament has no category for a churchless Christian. And the direction of the entire church matters. It genuinely matters. Individual faith is important, yes. Individual love is important, yes. But take into consider that the whole into consideration the entirety of the Thessalonians' faith is assessed by Paul, and the entirety of the Thessalonians' love is assessed by Paul. The Thessalonians are doing well in these areas, but we must ask ourselves if we're growing as a bunch of individuals or if we're growing together. And it genuinely matters. That's not some weird formula, some science fiction hive mind thing that's going on here. But it's our growth in faith and love. Is it a shared growth? And that implies investment in the local church. It implies finding out what your gifts are and using those to serve one another. It implies being present with the body as often as it gathers. It implies listening to the preached word and applying it. It implies time together with brothers and sisters in God's word. It implies praying together and fellowshipping with one another around the dinner table. We must share our very selves with one another, and this is why we do things like go out on the block and eat together and play games together. Not because we just want to say, hey, look at we're the fun, cool church. Not interested in that. I'm interested in together, being together, recognizing that we together are a church, recognizing that investment in the life of the body is genuinely what matters. Something can be said about the faith of Buffalo City Church, and something can be said about the love of Buffalo City Church. And if you're here and a Christian, you're part of what is said. You're part of what is communicated. You're part of what is lived. If you're here and you're not a Christian, if you're here this morning and you're like, what are you talking about? I'm not part of any of this. Then the call for you is simple. Turn from your sin and turn to Jesus. And God will bring you into the fold. He takes people who are not a people and makes them a people. He's extending an invitation to you to be part of this people. Friends, if you reject the free gift of salvation, then you're not a part of God's people. And the promises of God given to you in God's word are not for you. You're welcome here, but outside of Christ, you're not part of what Jesus is building. Brothers and sisters, for those of you who are in Christ, who identify with Buffalo City Church as your church home, you are part of a body. Again, an inseparable 
irreducible whole. Therefore, love one another. And may the Lord make us increase and abound in love for one another and for all, so that he may establish our hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your faithfulness towards us. Would you now increase our faith as those who recognize that you have supplied what we need now for this moment, but who recognize that more is needed for the future? Cause us not to believe pridefully that we in fact have arrived in any such way, shape, or form, or fashion as a church. But give us a desire to deepen in our understanding of what it means to obey the simple command to love one another. Would you grant us now greater love for one another? That we might bear witness to the person of Jesus Christ, that we might know him more, that we might desire to see his name proclaimed and his name made famous amongst the peoples of Jamestown. God, would you now, even in these moments as we respond in singing, grant us more clarity about who we are as a body. Give us more opportunities to grow in faith and love. And may good news reports be spread across our region and across the globe. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.